You can grab your Bible and turn it to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and you can just go ahead and mark that page or leave that page open, you know, on the, on the seat next to you because we're going to come back to 1 Corinthians 6. We're going to reference that a number of times coming up. Uh, this is the seventh week in our series called Tough Stuff. Somebody say tough stuff for me. And if you've been following along, it's kind of been a ride, amen? It's been large. And we have been talking about a number of different topics and conversations that are really large, are really charged. Some of them have been somewhat, uh, I won't say confrontational, but what's the word? Controversial, that's the word. Some of these might even be a little bit uncomfortable for us. Sometimes maybe it's gotten up in our kitchen a little bit. But I want to say this, it's been really, 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 really good that we've been having these conversations because we have gotten to see a whole bunch of really practical truth from God's word in the last number of weeks. And this truth is right in line with some really significant cultural conversations that are happening. So we need the truth. Jesus said the truth will set you free. So it's been really good. It's also been good because even with all this truth talk, we've been really zooming in and zoning in on God's grace too. God's grace that, you know, it's not just, well, here I struggle in this area or this, this is an area where I stumble and sin, but God is saying, hey, I love you. Come to me, trust in me, walk with me. I have a life for you. I will say it yet again. God has a life for you. Turn to your neighbor and tell them God has a life for you. He does, and we have said that over and over again, but it's so vitally important. God has a life for you, and that life is marked and characterized by you walking and abiding in relationship with Jesus. That's what it's all about, and it's all about trusting him and following him and loving him and serving him and experiencing him and enjoying him. And that is a good life. It's a full life. It's a significant, impactful, purposeful life. And in this life that Jesus offers to us, we find true joy and we can find true peace and true hope and true fulfillment and purpose and satisfaction. It's a good life. With regard to this life, that's, that's why we're having this conversation. And what we're having this conversation in today is in the subject of intakes. Somebody say intakes. When we're talking about intakes, we're talking about things that you take in. Imagine. Things that you consume, things that you put into your body. Today, and specifically, we're gonna be talking about things like drugs, things like alcohol, and we're gonna talk about smoking as well. So I just laugh as I say that. I'm not likely to offend anybody by anything we talk about today, okay? We're all good on that. Here's the cultural conversation with some of these intakes, these things that we consume. A lot of times it's, well, hey, you can't tell me what I can and can't do with my body and put into my body. If I wanna smoke, if I wanna drink, if I wanna do drugs, you're not gonna tell me no. That's what the attitude is culturally because I am the captain of my own ship. I am the master of my own destiny and no one's gonna tell me what to do, much less God. God's not gonna tell me what to do. That's a lot of times where it goes culturally, this conversation. Furthermore, a lot of times people say, it's also no big deal. If I want to drink, if I want to do drugs, if I want to smoke, like I'm not hurting you, so leave me alone. It's not a big deal. I don't even know if I'm hurting myself when I do it. But when we start to consider God and God's heart on some of these things, what we start to realize is that 
these intakes are a bigger deal than they might originally appear on the surface. Obviously, the things that we take into our bodies have a physical effect on us, and we'll talk about some of that today, but I would submit to you that there's even a lot of times there can be a deeper spiritual thing at play with the things that we take in. Things like smoking, things like drinking, things like drugs. There's a spiritual thing at play because in our lives, we are sort of hardwired to pursue satisfaction at a deep level. And it says in Ecclesiastes 3.11 that God has placed eternity in the human heart. So there's this part of us, this deep part of us, there's an eternity-shaped gap and void in our lives that we're looking to fill. And ultimately, we believe as Christians that that void is filled only in relationship with Jesus Christ. He is the one that gives us true satisfaction and fulfillment and peace. But sometimes we look to places other than Jesus to fill this void in us. Somebody knows exactly what I'm talking about. And even though it might just seem like a physical thing, oh, I need to have a cigarette, sometimes it can speak to a deeper spiritual reality of something going on in your heart at the soul level, a longing for something, for satisfaction, and we look to something other than Jesus to fill it. So that's why we need to talk about this. And the first thing we're gonna talk about today are drugs. Somebody say drugs. Drugs. Now, you might hear this and say, well, I don't struggle with drugs, so I can just tune out this part. This doesn't apply to me. Great. Well, here's the thing. Many, many people do struggle in this area. And I would submit to you this, that probably every single one of us knows people or has a relationship with someone. Maybe it's a family member or a close friend who has gone through a struggle with drugs. So this does touch us all in different ways. And so we got to talk about it. Now, when we talk about drugs, of course, we are talking about substances that you take in or consume somehow that cause some sort of physiological, maybe even a psychological change to your body once you take them in. And there obviously are many different kinds of drugs. We can think of anything from safe, regulated, over-the-counter, you go to the store and buy a bottle of Tylenol, or we can go way over here to the other end of unsafe and illegal and illicit hard drugs. There's a, a wide, wide, wide range of drugs that we could talk about. And the question on the floor is this, okay, if I want to live this life that Jesus has for me, where do drugs fit into that? When you're considering drugs, can you like take certain drugs without sinning? And to answer that question, I want to ask a series of more questions because that's always helpful, right? I, uh, if, if, if that's you and you have any kind of consideration over this, here's some questions that you can ask about what your interplay with drugs could be. The first one is this, is it legal? Whatever it is that you're considering or thinking about or faced with, is this drug legal? And this one's a good place to start because this is a black and white thing. This is just an, an easy way to begin because it says in Romans 13, 1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Sometimes we, we might want to laugh at that, just saying, right? Um, we don't always agree with everything the governing authorities say or tell us to do. And certainly there, there may come a point where the government comes out, and I'll make this up, they, they issue some law or they decree something that is a complete violation or contradiction or attack on the very essentials of our faith. Like if you wanna be a Canadian citizen that doesn't go to jail, you need to renounce Jesus or something. Well, obviously at that point as Christians, 
We're not obligated to follow that. However, with most things that the government would do or legislate or enact, like our heart as Christians is we are not really supposed to be known as lawless rebels who don't listen, who disrespect authority. Matter of fact, part of our witness is, is the way we respect others. Uh, I was just thinking right now of the verse, let your reasonableness be known to all. That's part of our witness for Christ. So generally speaking, when the government says, here's what you should do, we should seek to fall in line with that. Why am I telling you that? Well, certain drugs are legal and certain drugs are not legal. And generally speaking, if you were to connect with some illegal drug, that's not really God's will for you. That's an easy way to tell. Now, again, certain drugs are perfectly legal and you don't really have to worry too much. Am I gonna be in violation of some authority if I you know, grab this Advil because I have a headache? Well, not really. You can, in good conscience, operate in that. Some drugs used to be illegal, but now they're legal. And that can maybe be a little more of a gray area, something like marijuana, for instance. Yeah, we're talking about marijuana in church, so that's pretty cool, just saying. Um, that was illegal in, in some cases up until 2018. And we can thank our friend Justin Trudeau for legalizing marijuana. And it just is, it's really, this is a sidebar. It really ministers to me, makes me proud to be a Canadian when I drive along and on every other corner, there's the Cannabis NB store. Just saying, that's just, that just, that's just in my mind. Okay, on sidebar. Now, we'll talk a little more about this in a minute, but with certain drugs, maybe, oh, it used to be illegal, now it's not, but I'm not really sure how I feel about it. Sometimes it can come down to a matter of conscience, and there's deeper things you can apply. But again, if we're talking about illegal drugs, generally speaking, the thrust that we can look toward is, well, that would be a violation of the rules of the land, and that probably isn't what the Lord wants me to do. Does that make sense, this land in somewhere so far? Are we good here? Okay, so, so, the second thing we can ask pertaining to drugs is this. What effect will this drug have on my body? What effect will it have? Now you can turn to your 1 Corinthians 6 that you marked earlier. 1 Corinthians 6.13. It's also on the screen here. I had my bookmark not in the right place. That's embarrassing. 1 Corinthians 6.13. I don't know how that happened. 1 Corinthians 6.13 says that the body is meant for the Lord and the Lord for the body. In other words, sometimes, again, we think of our bodies, oh, it's no big deal, I'll just do what I want. Well, actually, your body belongs to the Lord. Your body is a spiritual matter. And so it does matter what you put into it. God cares about what you put into it. Matter of fact, in verse 19, as you see on the screen, it says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? When you see that word temple, that has its origins back in the Old Testament of ancient Israel. They built a temple, and that is where the presence of God dwelt, in the temple, the innermost parts of the temple. And so for an ancient Israelite, they would go to the temple to worship, to get close to God, to uh, come into that sacred kind of an, a space. So when you see the word temple here for us, that's what it's trying to elicit in our minds because our bodies are now the temple. Jesus, who died on the cross, rose from the grave, ascended into heaven. He then sent the Holy Spirit who dwells within us as believers. And this is telling us now the presence of God lives within us. Within us. So your body matters. The way you use your body matters. And if we do anything to knowingly diminish or, or destroy or dull this temple... It's probably not worth doing. That's what God is trying to say to us in here. And studies have shown, 
Generally speaking, with a lot of drugs, some of them have pretty negative impact on the body. Some of them have a pretty negative impact in your cognitive function, your brain function, your immune system, sometimes your motivation even. We've seen the stereotypes of, well, so-and-so was high on drugs and they just wanted to be a couch potato, right? Well, that's the temple. God cares about what you put into your body because it's a temple of the Holy Spirit. Furthermore, certain drugs, as you guys know, are highly addictive, very addictive. It says in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 6, all things are lawful for me. I might feel fine about doing this, but it says, but I will not be dominated by anything. Well, and as you guys know, that's what addictions are. It's you start this thing and you get hooked on it and you can't stop it. You are dominated by it. So that's not God's heart and will for you to put yourself into that place where you might get mastered by something. Furthermore, certain drugs can cause you to lose control of your body in some degree. The one that I immediately thought of about 10 years ago, this drug called bath salts came out. If you remember bath salts, it was wild. Some of the stories that came out about that, people like attacked each other and like maimed each other. And that's like the non-graphic story that I'm telling you right now. It was, it was crazy. Well, it says in Galatians chapter five, uh, in Galatians five, it gives a list of the fruit of the spirit. You've heard of that? In other words, when you are walking with the spirit and you're filled with the spirit, you're going to see certain fruit, certain things being cultivated and produced in your life. And if you know the fruit of the Spirit, the last one on that list is self-control. So if you come into a place with anything where you lose control of your body or your emotions or whatever it is, like that isn't the Lord that led you to that. You haven't gotten to that point because you've been walking in step with the Spirit. So certain drugs that might cause you to lose control, again, not really what God is wanting for you. Proverbs 25, 28 says that a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Now, we don't really have walls around our cities now, but back in the day when this was written, that was hugely important. You'd never see a city without a wall because the enemy can just go in and have its way in there. So that's a verse, that's a picture of devastation that can happen in your body if you, if you lack self-control, and drugs can produce that in you. So, the third thing on drugs, the question number three we can ask is this. What is your purpose in using this drug, whatever it is? What is your purpose in using it? For some people, straight up, it's medicinal. Again, I want to take this Tylenol because I have a headache and it'll make me feel better, right? Great. Some people will say, well, I'm in, and I've heard people say this. I've heard Christians say this. I'm in chronic pain, I'm in pain all the time, and nothing helps. I've seen the doctor. I've tried all these treatments. Nothing helps. Always in pain. The only thing that seems to help is if I, like, smoke some marijuana before bed. The only way I can sleep. It's true. That happens to people. And the thing about medicinal or drugs used for a medicinal way, like, it's possible to do that in a way that's safe and regulated, uh, I even think of something like marijuana. I'm not an expert on this. Don't come asking me all your questions about marijuana because I, I don't know the answers probably. But I know that, for instance, you can get that without the THC in it, which is the main psychoactive ingredient that kind of can cause your mind to you know, change or be altered. There are safe, regulated ways of doing that. And so when it comes to a Christian, well, could I, let's just use that example. Should I like smoke marijuana as a Christian, even if it's for medicinal purposes? Best advice here is, Take to the scriptures, pray to the Lord, 
Seek wise counsel. Talk to your doctor. Also, it can come down to a matter of conscience. Somebody say conscience. Make sure you're still with me. Places in the Bible like 1 Corinthians 8 and Romans 14, they'll talk about things uh, being not unclean unto themselves. Some things are a matter of conscience. God has given you a conscience. And if you are to operate in such a way where your conscience is telling you, oh, I don't think that's right, don't think you should do that, but you go against that, well, God says in those, that's not really what you're supposed to do. That's acting in weakness and not acting in faith. So, some people, conversely, when it comes to drugs, what's your purpose in using it? For a lot of people, it's recreational. Not really for a medicinal reason. I just want to do it because I like the feeling. I like the sensation. I like the high, whatever, right? Whatever it is. And here's the thing about getting, look, we're talking about getting high in church. Like what more could you want? Just saying. That was funny. Um, here's the thing about getting high as a Christian, okay? Like there's no, there's not a verse in the Bible, thou shalt not get high, uh, at least in any translations that I've read. But there's wisdom that the scriptures offer us. Here's the thing about getting high. That's a funny sentence. Just saying in church, that's a funny sentence. When you pursue a high from drugs, one of the things that serves to accomplish is it kind of provides an escape from reality. It sort of alters reality or your reality kind of gets obscured a little bit. Here's the thing. As a Christian, our aim is not to escape from reality. Our goal is to seek and see reality more clearly. Like we believe God is sovereign over all things. God has a life for us. God wants us to pursue that and get into that. Well, the, the pathway to that is not to obscure reality. Like we, we would put a high precedence on seeking the Lord maybe in our struggles, even if your reality isn't very good right now, seek the Lord in it. Don't just try to escape from it. Do you know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Um, Jesus says in John 8, 12, he says, I am the light of the world. Light obviously brings darkness, things that are dark, to light. It makes things more clearly, more clear, more sharp, more vivid. And when you get a high on drugs, that seeks to kind of dull and diminish and go the other way from that. Some people would say, though, well, this is a thing people say. They say, well, I can only get close to God when I'm high. That's when I feel the closest to the Lord. And though I cannot speak from experience on that one, I would beg to differ on that. Some people who say, I can only get close to God when I'm high. That's the reason I smoke or do whatever. Um, the way that you get close to God is not by taking in something that alters your cognitive function. Just saying. Furthermore, when you make that claim of I, I get high so I can get close to God, what you're doing is you're making that drug a mediator. Say mediator. Mediator is a fancy word for like a middleman. It's something that you use to get from here to here. So with us and God, you know how it works. We're here in and of ourselves. God is here. We're separate from him because of our sin. We can't just waltz over to God. There's a big gulf in the middle. Well, Jesus has come and he's bridged that gap. Jesus is our mediator. Jesus is how we get to God. And so anytime you introduce a different mediator, oh, I need drugs or even something less, you know, maybe more innocuous than that. Oh, I can only worship God when I come to a, you know, a white picket fence church building with a steeple on the roof. That's a mediator too. Anytime we bring some other mediator into our relationship with God other than Jesus, we're not acting in truth. That's not what God has at all for us. 
So that's a little bit of an expose on the drug thing. Again, we could talk on and on and on about drugs, but those are a few questions you can ask of, okay, I'm a Christian. I say yes to Jesus. I want to live this life he has for me. Where do I go with that? Those are some helpful things we can do. We good on drugs here? Okay, we'll move on to alcohol then. We're going to talk about alcohol in church. Again, what a great day. Now, Alcohol, scripture does expressly and explicitly talk about alcohol in a way that's different from drugs or even smoking like we'll get to. Because alcohol is really, really old. It's been around for thousands of years. It was around in Bible times. So there's some direct references to it in the scriptures. And again, if you are a person who wants to pursue more deeply the life that Jesus has for you, here's some things to consider when you're thinking about alcohol. The first one is this, drunkenness is sinful. Drunkenness is sinful. And again, this one's a good place to start because it's black and white. It's very black. Wherever that line is for you of, you know, sober versus intoxicated, when you cross that line, you've crossed into sin. And that's all through the scriptures. Here's a few of them up here right now. Uh, Ephesians 5.18, Galatians 5.21, Romans 13.13, 1 Corinthians 6.10, and there's lots more that would, that would talk about drunkenness in a way that says it's sinful. It condemns it as sinful. And you say, well, why would God say drunkenness is sinful? What's so wrong about being drunk? Well, there's a few things on that. For one, drunkenness impairs judgment or it can impair judgment. I don't think we need to talk long about that one. We've probably all seen people, maybe, though you won't confess it today, maybe you've been one of those people, and when you're in that state of intoxication, like, you're not at your best point of judgment. Can we just say that? Generally speaking, that's how it works. Uh, alcohol, uh, excessive alcohol consumption can also be a way for to escape reality. And we already talked about that. Oh, I just need to drink because I'm overwhelmed. I'm stressed out. I got to escape. That's not really God's heart for you. God wants you to pursue him in that, not just run from it. Uh, excessive alcohol consumption leading to drunkenness can cause behavior change. Some of which, you know, might not be horrendously bad, but we've all heard the stories of, oh, so-and-so when they're drunk, they get angry. They get mean. They get violent. Not God's will for us. Drunkenness, excessive alcohol consumption, especially in the long, over a long course of time, uh, can be really damaging to your body as well. We already talked about how your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. People that drink excessively for a long period of time really can take a toll on their body, especially their liver. So that's not really God's will there. Also, just on a high level, drunkenness can ruin lives. It can ruin the life for that person who is involved in it, it also can ruin lives of families and people close to that person. We've all seen and heard the stories of it tears families apart, it ruins lives, it wastes years, it is not worth doing. And in our culture, there's sort of a glamorization of drunkenness. You've probably seen it, it's on TV, you hear it on the radio, if you listen to the country station, you do anyway. And it's kind of foolish. Like, it kind of paints a picture of, well, if you're not, not even drinking, it's if you're not getting drunk, you're some loser, you're, you're, you, this is the be-all, end-all experience, and God is saying, I have so much better for you than that. So we don't just look to the cues of the culture in this area. That's not the way to, God, uh, to God's will at all. So it's really easy to be really liberal on this alcohol thing. A lot of people in the culture, and some Christians struggle with this too, straight up, but it's really easy to be super liberal 
on the alcohol side of things. But number two is this. Alcohol consumption is not banned outright in the scriptures. It is not banned in the scriptures. So where it's really easy to be liberal in this area, some people take it too far the other way and they act ultra-conservative and sort of legalistic in this area. You've heard people say that any consumption of alcohol is sinful. One sip on the lips is sinful. It's wrong. You can't do it. Well, that's not really what the Bible says. It's not really what the Bible says at all. I would just point you to the fact that Jesus drank wine. I would point you to the fact that Jesus turned water into wine. If it was so inherently bad and sinful, my guess is that he probably wouldn't even deal with it. There's even scriptural, uh, a little bit of scriptural support, a thing like 1 Timothy 5.23, Paul tells Timothy, you should take a little wine for your stomach. He had ulcers or something. So to say that the Bible forbids any alcohol consumption at all is not correct. But the key is, like 1 Timothy 23, take a little wine for your stomach. It's light, it's controlled, it's temperate alcohol consumption. It's appropriate usage and viewing of alcohol. We don't glamorize it. You operate in a safe lane with alcohol. Now three, number three on this, this one's very important as is the next one. Alcohol can be a stumbling block. It can be a stumbling block, something that you can trip over and cause yourself grief and harm and, and you can trip kind of your way out of God's will. It can be a stumbling block for you, which is bad enough. You could say, oh, I'm just gonna have one drink. No problem, one drink, and then that turns to two, to three, to four, to 14, and you can cause yourself to stumble. Not great. Perhaps worse, though, is that alcohol can be a stumbling block to other people. And this is what you really need to be super careful about. Again, I would go back to Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians 8. In those scriptures, it says, nothing is unclean in and of itself. Alcohol, in and of itself, nothing wrong with it. But if you consume it in a way where your conscience does not permit you to, if you're in a situation, you're at a party, whatever it is, Christmas is coming, just saying, and there's alcohol, and someone offers you some, and you're like, eh, oh, I don't really know if I should do it, but maybe I will. I don't want to seem weird, oh, oh, and you drink it you've betrayed your conscience. Um, I think it's Romans 14, 23 that says anything that does not proceed from faith is sin. So that's not the way we operate. We don't have a spirit of fear as Christians. We don't need to violate our conscience in that way. Now, alternatively, you might be totally fine with it. Your conscience would say, I'm not bothered in the least bit. Alcohol, I'm not afraid of it. I'm not whatever. Go ahead, have a drink. Um, but someone else might not be. Someone close to you might not be. And if you're not careful, that can turn into something where you're just like holding it over their head. Or, you know, I know you're not fine with it, but I'm fine with it, so I'm just gonna do it. You know what I mean? That's, that's being a jerk. Don't be a jerk over alcohol. It's foolish. More to the point, though, you really, really never know who might be watching. You really never know who you might have influence over in your life. Even if you say, I'm a person of low influence, I can, no one's watching me, you never, never really know. And for me personally, I'm not, I won't impose this on anybody else, just a little window into my life. Like I, I personally don't drink. I have, I'm not opposed to it. I, you know, it's kind of good sometimes, whatever. But 
over the years, I've kind of just realized, especially like working in a church, even if, look, we're not a big church, there's not thousands of people watching me to see what I do. Most people don't give a rip what I do. But I would never want to be in a place where someone looks at me and says, oh, well, there's the pastor, he's drinking. Even if I just had like a sip of one thing. Oh, he's drinking, and you know what we do in our minds, we justify. So if he's doing it, it must be fine for me to do. And I never know who's around that might have struggled in this area before. It's just so not worth it for me. Now, you might be able in your life to do this no problem and you're super careful and you make sure that no one around you could stumble on this. But listen, it is not worth you drinking. It is not worth ruining someone just to drink. It's really not. So be super, super careful on this one. And the fourth one on alcohol is this. Just a simple question. Why do I want to drink in the first place? Why, do, why am I interested in this? Why am I so drawn to this? It says in 1 Corinthians 6, 12, all things are lawful for me. I'm allowed to drink. No one's forbidding me from drinking, but it says not all things are helpful. That's a really good verse. You could talk about that with anything. This might be allowed, but is it actually helpful for me? Is this activity, in this case drinking, is it helping me? And how is it helping me? Is it leading me into a deeper relationship with Jesus? Is it, is, it a, is it enhancing my appreciation and my gratitude for Jesus? Like, why is it so important for you to drink? Some people drink to fit in. You're in a social setting and everyone else is doing it. So you're like, eh, don't want to be that weirdo. Don't want to be that stick in the mud. So I'll just do it. I might even like look a little bit cool while I do it. That's a lie, by the way. Whatever cool is, that's not the way of getting it. Let me just say this to you. People who drink just because other people are doing it, the way to get into the will and, and a deeper relationship with Jesus is generally not just by following the crowd in anything. Here's the thing. Most people don't know Jesus. Most people don't walk with Jesus. And so for you to say, I'll just do whatever they're doing, it's very likely that that's not going to lead you closer to Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? So doing it just to fit in, like, eh, not that great a reason. Some people drink to, like, reduce stress. Oh, I had a long week. It was a hard week. Just got to, like, have a drink to calm me down, whatever, whatever. There's kind of a deeper thing at play with that. God tells us all our anxieties to cast upon him because he cares for you. The Bible says, don't be anxious for anything. Trust in the Lord. Don't fret over this stuff. So when we stress out about stuff, and I'll be honest, like I stress about stuff sometimes. We all probably do. The deeper issue there is, well, what are you stressed over and why are you stressed over it? And, and what are you not trusting the Lord with in that area of your life? And so maybe the, maybe the deeper solution here is not just to medicate your stress by alcohol, it's to take your stress to the Lord and and have him visit you and meet with you in that. Some people alternatively drink because they legitimately enjoy it. They legitimately enjoy it and they're super careful and no one around them is caused to stumble by them doing it and it's a gift that they receive and enjoy from the Lord. Guess what? If that's you, great, great. That's perfectly fine. It says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. So if you can drink in such a way where your conscience is fine, you're not causing anyone to stumble, you're not drinking too much, and you just generally enjoy it, wonderful. Praise the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord in that. It's not something we just have to be afraid of. 
It's something that we can walk in confidence in. So that's a little bit of a look into alcohol as a Christian. You want to go for Jesus, live the life he has for you. These can be helpful things to help you walk through that. Now, we're going to move on to our third thing this morning. And uh, this one is smoking. Somebody say smoking. Before I say another word about smoking, listen close now. I realize that many, many, many people struggle in this area. Many, many people smoke. There are a lot of Christians that smoke. And straight up, let's just bring it right into our kitchen this morning, I know that some of you guys smoke. Please hear me in this. This is not, oh, now all eyes are on you and shame on you and we're gonna throw the book at you and condemn you. No. I would remind you, God loves you. God loves you very much. God has a life for you and a plan for you to prosper you and not to harm you. God has good for you. And I would remind you as well that I love you. I love you. Can I just say that? I love you guys. I love you very much. Let it be known. Let it just be known today. And your leaders, I'll speak for the rest of your leaders, they love you guys. And we want the best for you guys. And we're not condemning or throwing shade on or hobby horsing any one sin in particular. Are you receiving what I'm saying? Are we good here? We need to remember the grace of God in this. The grace of God is all through this. But let it be known at the same time, and I love you, let it be known that smoking is not really part of the Lord's will for your life. And we'll talk about this. We'll explore this. Now, the Bible does not explicitly, thou shalt not smoke, uh, you know, maybe on some obscure page, but I've not seen it so far. That's because smoking as we know it, as we have it in this part of the world, uh, didn't get introduced to the West until like the 1600s. So long after the Bible was written. But again, there is wisdom, there is insight, there are principles from God. We can get God's heart on smoking. And what I want to do is I want to read uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 again. We already read part of this. And this is, this is a super guiding principle on smoking. It says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? It goes on to say, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price, Christian, you belong to Jesus. He is an authority over you. So glorify God in your body. And again, like we've said with other things, anything that is done to diminish or, or wreck or harm the body, the temple, it's not part of God's will for your life. By the way, the Lord just preached to me right, right this second. You want to hear this? The Lord said, Braden, you do things to your body that harm it. I bite my fingernails. No, I'm not even kidding. So thank you for that, Lord. I'm preaching to myself, apparently. But nonetheless, something like smoking, you guys have heard how this all goes. You guys, we're, you're very smart people. You're well aware of some of the effects that smoking can have on the body. But I just want to refresh your memory on some of these. First of all, in talk, let's talk cigarettes. In a cigarette... There are around 600 ingredients in a cigarette. Somebody say, that's a lot of ingredients. 
And I learned something as I've gotten older with regard to like reading labels. I'm told that the longer, like a food or whatever, the longer the label is, probably the worse it is for you. Like if you have like a short label that you can pronounce all the words, like it might be good for you to eat, but the longer it is, probably the more processed or refined or unhealthy it is for you. Well, cigarettes, 600 ingredients and at least 69 of those ingredients are known carcinogens. A carcinogen is something that causes cancer in the human body. 69 of them. Some of these chemicals are things like hydrogen cyanide. That doesn't sound very good. Uh, formaldehyde is in cigarettes. If you say, I know, I've heard that word somewhere. Yes, you have. They use that. It's one of the things they use when they're embalming dead bodies. Formaldehyde. There's lead in cigarettes. There's arsenic, ammonia, carbon monoxide, and a whole host of other really harmful chemicals. This one may not be a carcinogen, but another chemical that you find in cigarettes is nicotine. You guys know about nicotine. It is one of the single most addictive substances known to man on planet Earth. And you know how it works. The nicotine, you smoke a cigarette or some or whatever, you get hooked on it, you can't stop, and you continually just keep on pumping some of these chemicals into your body. And this produces some effects on your body physiologically. Some of them happen immediately. When you smoke a cigarette, right away the lining in your esophagus gets red and irritated. The good bacteria in your mouth, there is such a thing as good bacteria. I'm not a science guy, but the good bacteria in your mouth dries up and it dies. That's, that can lead to things like dry mouth and bad breath. After 20 minutes of smoking a cigarette, the nicotine enters your bloodstream. And that increases your heart rate and your blood pressure. When you smoke, serotonin and other feel-good chemicals are released in the brain. Now, that doesn't sound so bad when you hear it. But over time, and you smoke a lot, for instance, that can really get you all out of whack. And that can lead to your, you know, the chemicals in your brain are doing this. That can lead to irritability and mood swings. Let it be known, I'm not saying you're irritable this morning because I love you. All right. It can take up to 48 hours to flush the nicotine out of your system. That's if you only smoke the one and stop, but a lot of times you continue to smoke. There are long-term effects on the body from smoking as well. You develop or you have a highly increased risk of developing things like emphysema. That's where the air sacs in your lungs get destroyed. You have a highly increased risk of developing chronic bronchitis, the inflammation of your lungs that just won't go away, a highly increased risk of developing things like COPD. You have a highly increased risk of developing lung cancer. And we know about lung cancer. It is the most common cause of death among people who smoke. Of all, they say, this group of people who smoked, they, they died, and the most common reason why, it's not because it was natural causes, it wasn't a car accident, it's because they got lung cancer from smoking cigarettes. And lung cancer is also the most common cancer death in the world, among males and females. It doesn't discriminate that way. Long-term effects, you can have a highly increased risk of stroke, of heart disease, skin cancer, skin aging, nail infections, mouth cancer, type 2 diabetes, and more. There are strong risks that you run to your physical well-being from long-term smoking. There are also, there's the financial aspect to consider. Now, I have to just acknowledge my embarrassment in this. I actually have no idea how much a pack of cigarettes costs. I had to look it up. I was too embarrassed to ask anybody. So 
I found somewhere that a pack of cigarettes might cost around $15. Is that fair to say, $15? It's higher than that. Let's say it's $15, just for fun. If you smoke, let's say you smoke a pack a day. We're going to do some math here. We got a little bit of everything this morning in church now. $15 a day, that totals up to $465 a month, every month. And over the course of a year, that totals up to almost $5,500, $5,500. And this isn't like theoretical money that doesn't really exist. You might have it or you might not. This is money that you are spending. It's coming out of your pocket, out of your checking account. And it's going out and you're losing it. And just think of the things you could afford. Think of the things you could like save up. Think of the things you could buy for your family. Think of the things that you could do to contribute to the financial needs of the church or to help other people just from cutting this out of your life. And again, let me say, I'm not trying to patronize anybody. I understand this is difficult to do. This is like one of the hardest things to do in the whole world is to quit smoking. But again, we're trying to get on the heart of God on this. If you ask why smoking is so prevalent, you say, if it's so bad for me, and we've, like, let's be honest, we've known as a society for probably 60 years that smoking is not good for our health. Why is it so prevalent? There's two reasons. Number one is this. It's a multi-billion dollar industry. Sometimes it comes back to the money. And I don't mean to say this wrong or just trite, but... There are people that are getting rich off of you smoking. And even though we know it's bad, that's why it's continued for all these years and it's gonna continue because people are getting rich off of it. The, the deeper reason, the spiritual reason that smoking is so prevalent is because it's a tool that Satan uses. We talked a few weeks ago, remember, that said, uh, it's John 10, 10, Satan, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Well, smoking does all of those things. Smoking steals, at least from you financially, it kills, it can kill your will, you get addicted, and it can destroy your health and your body. That's, that's textbook work of Satan, steal, kill, and destroy. But here's what I want to say about this. There is a redemptive work that can begin when we stop smoking. And this just speaks of God to me. When you stop smoking, your body can immediately start to heal itself. And I just think that's so God because even in, like in, in our lives, in our brokenness, in our sin, when we come to Jesus, he starts working on us right away. He starts redeeming and restoring us. And it's just so God. So, and you've heard of some of these too, but I want to read some of these things to you about smoking. When you stop smoking, again, it might be super difficult, but after one day of not smoking, your heart rate can start to slow down to a normal speed and your blood pressure can start to stabilize. One day. After two days, your skin and your hair and your breath can start to smell fresher and there is less carbon monoxide in your system. You know what that means? It's easier for you to breathe. Two days. After one week, your blood can start producing higher levels of antioxidants that are protective like vitamin C. Your, taste, or your sense of smell and your sense of taste can start to improve after one week. After one month, your heart can start to work more efficiently. That leads to things like exercise becoming easier. You're not as winded. Your immune system starts to recover. After three to six months of not smoking, your lungs are healing. You're noticing that you're coughing less. The, the blood flow from your, to your fingers and toes starts to improve. And not that this applies to anybody here, but the irritability and the stress and the mood swings can start to level out. After one year 
of no smoking, your risk of heart attack and stroke can drop as much as 50%, half. After five to 10 years of not smoking, your risk of developing certain kinds of cancer can be cut in half. After 10 years, your risk of developing lung cancer, the most notorious killer of smoking, can drop by as much as 50%, half. After 15 years, I love this one, after 15 years of not smoking, your chance of developing heart disease can become very similar to that of a person that has never smoked in their life. Like that's God. That is God working. And I, again, I understand. You say 15 years, Braden, like 15 minutes would be a start for me. But listen, this is what God can do. This is what God can do in a life. This is what God can do to a body, in a soul. God is over this. God can do great redemptive things in your life. Here's what I want to do. I want to start wrapping this up now. This has been, this has been a hodgepodge today, but it's been kind of fun. Um, here's what I want to say with regard to any of this stuff, any of these intakes that you bring into your system, whatever, and maybe there's some we didn't even talk about today. If you struggle in any of these areas, the answer is this. It's the same as it's been every other week. Trust in Jesus in this area of your life. Trust in him. Are you coming to me? Come on up. This is a good time. Marilyn, everybody. We give it up for Marilyn now. Just holler nice and loud or you can go to the mic. Okay. This is unscripted. I don't know what she's going to say, but we're, we're excited. Like a lot of young people, when I was younger, I, I was a smoker. I started very young, probably in grade seven. On and off for years and years. On and off. I wanted to stop. I knew it, it wasn't what the Lord wanted for my body. Um, one of the other cancers is cervical cancer. Um, I did have some issues there, and thank God I've um, that's been looked after. For every cigarette a woman smokes, her cervix smokes. It's like they've smoked 10. Hmm. Uh, I prayed about it long and hard. The Lord knew it was in my heart. So every time I smoked a cigarette, it made me feel sick to my stomach. All the chemicals. He said, every time you get that urge, dig out your toothbrush. I did, and it worked. Hmm. Praise Jesus. Yes, come on, lift it up now. Thank you, Marilyn. That was cool. It's true, but that's true. That's, that's one testimony. That's one testament of what Jesus can do when we trust him with what area, whatever area of your life is a struggle. Look, what we, what we tend to do with this stuff today or with anything, when we struggle, when we're in sin, when we're struggling, stumbling, whatever, sometimes we kind of recoil in shame. We say, Lord, I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm gonna run from you. I'm gonna distance myself from you. I want you to know today, Jesus is inviting you to walk toward him in your struggle. 
Jesus is inviting you to trust him in the struggle. What Jesus is not saying is, you clean yourself up and then you can come to me. Then you can come live the life I have for you. Jesus says, come to me. Come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Some of us need rest today from our struggles, from the things that dog us, from the things that we can't get out from or under, out from under. Jesus is calling and inviting you. And it still might be really difficult. Something like any of these things could be so difficult. But Jesus is calling you, look, trust me with the first step and then the next step and then the next step. Come to me and I will give you rest. Some, some of us, some people just try so hard to get away from some of this stuff on their own power. Jesus says, no, I have strength for you. I have grace for you. I have love for you. I have power for you. And it could be a long process. It could be a lifelong process. But that's what we're in for with Jesus anyway. It's a lifetime of walking with him and trusting him and letting him love on us and work on us and shape us and mold us and change us. So if you're struggling, look, I, I don't even know what your struggle is this morning. Run to Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Get with Jesus. We're gonna have a chance to do this in a couple of minutes. And when you drive home later, you're gonna have a chance to do this all through your day, all through your life, before your head hits the pillow at night. Get with Jesus. This isn't just some activity we do in a church building on a Sunday morning. Jesus is calling us to walk with him and to trust him with every area of our life. So here's what I want to say. Last thing and then I'm done. Not only does Jesus have grace for you, grace unending for you, whatever your area of struggle, we ought to follow in the pattern that he sets down and show grace to one another. So my encouragement to you, whatever your area of struggle is, and we've talked about a lot of areas of struggle over the last few weeks, Maybe yours is something we haven't even talked about. My advice, my encouragement to you is to trust that with someone else in the church as well. Part of God's path of healing for you may well include brothers and sisters to come alongside you and help you and encourage you. That's, that's, God has provided us with one another, brothers and sisters to help each other. Right? You're not just here for yourself, friends. Let me tell you that. You're here for, for this, for everyone else too. And so... I would encourage you, talk to somebody. Bring someone into the struggle with you. If you are on the receiving end, someone comes to you, I hope today this happens. Someone comes to you and says, I'm really struggling. Can you help me? Can we talk? We are not going to be a people who get up on our high horse. We are not going to look down our nose at them. We are not going to throw shame and shade on them. We are going to walk alongside them as brothers and sisters in Christ, and we're going to show grace to each other. You guys are really good at doing that. So I know that this is a house of grace, that God has grace for us. We will show grace to one another.